Thank you. That just about covers it, doesn't it? He's everything. Well, today we're going to begin a new series from 1 John. The letter was written by the Apostle John from Ephesus. It was written in around 100 A.D. Now, at the time the letter was written, Christianity was well established. It had been here for a while. As a result of that, the enthusiasm of the early days of Christianity had been replaced. It had been replaced with tradition, customs, and habits. And so, because Christianity was established at this time, there was not the excitement nor the understanding nor the commitment that there had been in the earlier days. For instance, the understanding of holiness was not the same then as it was during the early time. The word holy means separated. When the Bible says that we are holy, it means that I am separated from the world and I am separated to God. So it means to be separated. It means to be different. That if I am holy, then I am different. For instance, the Bible says that the temple is holy. In Psalm 138, verse 2, the writer says, I will bow down toward thy holy temple. So the Bible refers to the temple as being holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that the temple then is different from other buildings. It is not like other buildings. It is holy. It is different. The Bible says that the Sabbath is holy. In Exodus 16, verse 23, tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So when the Bible says then that the Sabbath is holy, what does it mean? It means it's different. That the Sabbath is different from other days. It is holy. The Bible says that the Jews were holy. That means that they were different from other people. The Bible says that as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ then we are to be different. If you claim to be a Christian, then you are to be holy because God is holy. And that means then that you are to be different. The problem that they had at this time is they didn't want to be different. They instead wanted to be like everyone else. What the church was going through at the time of First John was not a persecution from without, but from a, sedu a seduction from within. Barclay wrote, The trouble which First John seeks to combat did not come from men out to destroy the Christian faith, but from men who thought they were improving it. It came from men whose aim was to make Christianity intellectually respectable. In other words, during the time John is addressing, those in the church were evolving. Their understanding of doctrine, their understanding of what it meant to be a Christian was evolving and they wanted to be relevant. Sounds very much like our own day, does it not? You see, what had happened, because they had this desire to be intellectually respectable, false teachers had come into the church denying and compromising some of the basic doctrines of Christianity. 
There were those, for instance, who denied the deity of Jesus. One commentator said, at least some of these false teachers denied that Jesus was the Messiah. So what was going on in the church at the time of this letter? Well, there were false teachers who had come into the church, some of them denying the deity of Christ. So John writes to refute that. In 1 John 2, 22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And then in the church also at that time were the Gnostics who denied the Incarnation. Their logic was this. The Gnostics believed that everything spiritual was good and pure. Everything that was physical, everything of matter, was evil. So the logical conclusion then was that God could not have come in the flesh because the aim of man is to escape the physical, to escape this physical body. And so John was writing to refute that as well. 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So what you need to understand as we get into this letter is that the church at this time was not being attacked from without, but seduced from within. There were false teachers who had come in who were denying the deity of Christ. They were denying the incarnation of Christ. And so John writes to deal with this heresy. He tells us his objective, and he says that his objective is that their joy might be complete and that they not continue in sin. He wrote to present Jesus as he actually was. John says that he is eternal. He is the Messiah. He is both God and man, both spirit and flesh. So, let's begin. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handle concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Lloyd Ogilvy wrote, The first four verses in our English text are really one love song-like sentence from John, but it is absolutely filled with meaning and insight as we look at these four verses. Now, John begins here to establish his objective. And in verse number 1, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handle concerning the word of life. So, he begins then by giving his own testimony, by giving his experience. And what he was doing was establishing his right to write. He said, Because of the experience that I have, then I have the right to address this subject with you. Now, what did he say? He said, I have heard from the Lord. 
uh, that's important for someone who stands to speak for the Lord, that they have heard from the Lord. When Jeremiah was in prison, Zedekiah the king sent for him secretly that he might inquire of him. And in Jeremiah chapter 37, verse number 17, the king secretly asked him and said, Is there a word from the Lord? That's what the king wanted to know. When he, when he brought Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, do you, have a, do you have a word from the Lord? Has God said something? I have been pastor long enough to know that by and large, that's what you want. That's what you come for, a word from the Lord. You're not interested in my opinion. Sometimes you might find them to be amusing, and there are times when I share them with you, but that's not the reason that you come. My opinion is no better or worse than yours. You're not really interested in pop psychology. What is the latest fad? What is the latest thing someone is saying? But have you heard from the Lord? That's what we want to know. Is there a word from the Lord? Well, John said, I have one. John said, I, I have heard, I have heard from the Lord. And then he said, and we have seen with our eyes. In verse number one, John uses two different vision words to speak to that. The first word is seen, which literally means to see, to catch sight of. And in part, that is addressing the physical nature of Christ. He said, oh, I've seen him with my physical eyes. I have seen him to catch sight of. But then he uses another word, beheld, which means to gaze, to behold. Ogilvy said it is the idea of a spectacle now seen in full power and wonder. Barclay wrote, the idea is not that of a passing glance, but of a steadfast searching gaze which seeks to discover something of the mystery of Christ. So, when John says, I have seen him, he says, not only have I seen him with my physical eyes, he says, but I have some understanding as to who he is. I have some insight, I have some understanding concerning what he is about. He says, I've heard from the Lord. I have seen him, and I have handled him. That again is to refute those who denied that Jesus had come in the flesh. Barclay said, here John is thinking of those people called the Docetists who were so spiritually minded that they insisted that Jesus never at any time had a flesh and blood body, but was only a phantom in human form. And there were those people who thought that at that time. That Jesus did not come in a, the Messiah did not come in a flesh and blood body, but was only a phantom in human form. Jesus himself refuted that when he stood before the disciples after the resurrection. In Luke 24, 39, he said, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So John established his authority to speak. He said, I've heard from the Lord. I have seen the Lord and have some understanding. And he said, and I've handled him. Now then he gets to his purpose. After he establishes his right to write, then we see 
the issues he was addressing. And he says, what I'm writing about is that I want you to have fellowship. Look at verse number 3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He said, I'm writing that you might have fellowship. Now, that, that's a rather benign word with most Baptists. I mean, we have fellowship dinners. We have fellowships at Sunday school classes. And so, you know, there's a bunch of people getting together having a good time. That's basically our understanding of fellowship. The Greek word that is used here is koinonia, and the basic root of that word means common. Now, for us to understand what the word means when he says, I'm writing that you might have fellowship, the best thing for us to do is to see how this word is used in the Scripture, and as we see how it is used, then we can understand what it means. For instance, Paul used the word to speak to generosity of spirit. When Paul was addressing the Philippians, he said, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship, koinonia, of the Spirit, and when Paul, within the context, is writing that, he is speaking of the generosity of the people. They had been supportive of him. And they were generous with each other, preferring others above themselves. So when he uses the word koinonia... It is speaking of generosity. Fellowship, then, in part means generosity. And then it also is used to mean participation with the Father in Philemon 6. I pray that the fellowship, koinonia, of, of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. All right, so when we're using the word fellowship, he said, I am writing this that you might have fellowship it speaks of generosity. It speaks of my participation with the Father, mostly. In the Bible, when it is used, it speaks of partnership. So when we are speaking about fellowship, as Paul and the Bible addresses it, it is not just people getting together, having a meal together. It means mostly a partnership. So whenever we have fellowship, it means we are partners. We are partners. In fact, in Luke 5.10, the Bible says, James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners, Cornania, with Simon. So, James says that, uh, uh, John says, then I am writing to you for this purpose, that you might have fellowship. That you might have fellowship vertically with God, and that you might have fellowship horizontally with your fellow man. So, he says, I'm writing to you in part that you might have fellowship. And then he goes on to say, and that you might have joy, verse number 4. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. The word joy in the Greek is a light and whimsical word. In fact, it is still used as a greeting within the Greek-speaking world. That when they would greet each other, they would greet each other with the word joy. But from this word comes the word grace. Ogilvy writes, there is the sense of surprise and acceleration within the word joy and its companion, grace. The sense of a gift being given when no one expected it. A serendipity. So John says, why am I writing to you? He said, I have the right to write to you. Why am I writing to you? Two reasons. He said, first of all, because uh, I want you to have fellowship. 
fellowship with God, fellowship with each other, and secondly, that your joy might be complete. Now, the message that he proclaimed to achieve his objective was a message about Jesus. If, if we are going to be able to accomplish these things, fellowship and joy, he says, then it is all about Jesus, which is what you were singing earlier. It is all about Jesus. And he, be, he begins now to describe Jesus. He says, first of all, that Jesus is eternal. In verse 1, what was from the beginning, or literally what was from beginning? Eternal. Speaks of his eternal nature. When I was a boy, and I would imagine some of you have done the same thing, but some night I would be lying in my bed, and, and you get to thinking about the world and all those things, and God created it, God created this world. And then, but who created God? Where did God come from? What was before God? Now, I know that's like asking what was before one and what was before A. And the fact is, we are never going to be able to understand that because we are not eternal. See, God is infinite. We are finite. And there are some things that we simply do not understand. But the Bible plainly teaches us that God, the Godhead, is eternal. The Father is eternal. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, the Bible says the eternal God is a dwelling place. So when we are talking about God the Father, He has always existed. There has never been a time when He did not exist. He's eternal. Not only is the Father eternal, but so is the Son. Now, I know that we celebrate His physical birth at Christmas time, but the fact is there's never been a time when Jesus did not exist. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the King eternal, speaking of Jesus. So God the Father is eternal, God the Son is eternal, and God the Holy Spirit is eternal. In Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit. So as John now is telling us about Jesus, he said this is all about Jesus. He begins by telling us that He is eternal. There's never been a time when there was no God. He is eternal. And then He says that He is incarnate. Now that was a promise made by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin will be with child, bear son. She will call His name Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, literally means God with us. So when the prophecy was given that this virgin was going to have a son, it literally means... God with us, Emmanuel. God with us, incarnate. And, of course, that was fulfilled in Christ. Revelation twenty-two thirteen, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. So, John here is speaking to us about Jesus. What does he say about him? He says he is eternal. Always existed. He says that he is incarnate. And then he says Jesus is the Word. Verse number 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. Actually, the verses that we have in our text today serve as a practical commentary on the prologue of the Gospel of John. Um, I don't think I'm going to read it. You can read it later. Go to, go to the Gospel of John when you get home and read the prologue there in verse number 1 because this is saying the same thing. It is a commentary on the prologue. The word for word in Greek 
is the word logos. And uh, in the Greek world of thought, it carries the idea of purpose, of reason. So when the word logos was used to the Greek, that meant reason. It meant purpose. But as John is presenting it here, he has more of an Old Testament understanding of the word. Ogilvy said within the Old Testament world of thought, word carries the sense of authority, disclosure, decision, and action. So he says that Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the word. Well, what does that mean? Well, the, the world was created by the word of God. The scripture says in Genesis 1-3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. He said, and there was. In Hebrews 11.3, the author said, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. Now folks, we can debate all we wish about whether or not the earth is an accident whether the earth evolved, we can debate all we wish. We can talk about the Big Bang and all those things, but the fact is, according to Scripture, God spoke the world into existence. It exists because God said. And so, it is the Word that creates. It is the Word by which God is known. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. I was reading yesterday in my devotional time about Cornelius. And you recall in the book of Acts that Cornelius was praying and an angel spoke to him. And he sent for Peter who was in Joppa staying with Simon. And asked Peter to come to share the word with him. And the Bible says in Acts eleven fourteen, He shall speak words to you by which you will be saved. He will speak words to you by which you will be saved. Oftentimes, someone will say to me, well, I witness with my life. And that's important because your life will authenticate what you say. But the Bible says that people come to know Christ through the word being shared. So it's important that you share the word of Christ, the word of God. So the Bible says that uh, through the word, there's creation. Through the word, God is known. Through the word, there's forgiveness. Luke five twenty, and seeing their faith, he said, friend... He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So it says here, John says here, that he is the word of life. Jesus is the word, the logos of life. He said it was manifested, verse number two. And the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word manifested, that is used literally means to reveal, to become visible, plain, to be clear. The English word phenomenon comes from this Greek root word. So he says, John is speaking here. He says, now I'm, I'm talking to you about Jesus. And he said, he has been manifested to you. He has been shown to you, revealed to you. Why? So he said, I have seen him. I have beheld him. He has been manifested. So what? That you might know him. That's what John is saying. Jesus has been manifested to you 
that you might know him. That you might know God. Now, there have always been heretics in the church. There have always been those people who have denied the scriptures, denied the word of God, denied its veracity, compromised it. That's what John is addressing here, and I want you to understand that as we go through this letter. That John is addressing some of these compromises of doctrine. But he's writing here, he says, that they might reclaim their enthusiasm. See, they had lost that enthusiasm of their early faith. He said, I want you to reclaim it. My guess is, there are some of you who have been saved for a while. You've known the Lord for a while. And you don't have that enthusiasm that you had in the early days. You've lost it. Do you remember it? Remember when you were so excited about the Lord? I mean, I sit up here sometimes and I look around and I see people. I don't know their hearts, nor do you. I mean, they're raising their hands and I can, yeah, it just seems to me like they are enthusiastic about the Lord. Now, that's natural for them. It isn't for me. That doesn't mean a thing. It's just a personality difference. That doesn't make any difference if you seem stoic or if you seem demonstrative. The question is, do you still have that enthusiasm for Jesus? That's the thing that's important. And that's what John is saying. He said, I I want you to reclaim that enthusiasm that you had in the early days. How do you do it? That might be your question then. How do I reclaim the enthusiasm for Jesus that I once had? Well, according to John, he said, I want you to have fellowship rather than tradition. I want you to have fellowship with God who is eternal, who is incarnate. Who is the Word? I want you to have fellowship with Him, partnership with Him. He said, and I want you to have fellowship with other believers. That you fellowship with them, you're partners with them. And then he said, I want you to have joy rather than religion. Folks, we got way too much religion today. That's the reason some of us have no joy. John is saying, I want you to have joy. Not religion, not tradition. He said, I want you to have joy joy. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. When the pagan looks at the very core of the cosmos, he is struck cold. But when we look at the core of the cosmos, we are met by the living God who creates, who speaks for himself, who has surprised us by knowing our names. When this surprise sinks in, then the joyous fellowship begins. Someone has said that joy is the flag that flies over the heart of the Christian. John is saying to you, he says to me, he said to his audience back then, I want you to reclaim the enthusiasm for Jesus that you have lost. How? By fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God. And as you do that, then you have the joy of God. How are you doing? Do you have the joy of Jesus? Well, first of all, you've got to know Him. Do you know the Lord? If you don't know Him, I pray today you'll trust Him. If you do know Him, do you have joy? 
Because that's the flag that flies over the heart of the Christian. His joy. Our Father, we come to a time thanking You for this reminder. Lord, hopefully Your Holy Spirit will examine our own hearts. We might ask ourselves the question if we have lost the enthusiasm for Jesus, the faith in Jesus we once had. If so, restore it. Lord, I pray for those who have never known the joy of Christ, never come to Christ. I pray that today they might. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're without Christ, I I pray that you'll receive Him today. If you know Him, pray that you'll enjoy Him today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.